you like doing things halfway? Most of you really dig that. Do you ever um, get started on a project and then like look up and it's like six months? And you haven't really picked up, you know, what you were going to do or started back to what you should have done. I, I was, uh, I'm often like hearing people say, well, we've been talking about doing that for a year, or I've been asking for that to be done, you know, for a year or two years sometimes, or whatever it might be. Um, doing things partially, uh, we often can forgive ourselves for doing stuff kind of part way, but it's really difficult for us in most of life. For instance, most of you would say, if somebody was to deposit like part of my check, and not the whole check. You might be like a little bit, you know, upset maybe. Or if a contractor. Were you messing with me, dude? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But if somebody was to say like, okay, I'm going to build a house for you. And then he built half of the house. And then he just decided like, I had a friend. They were working on a project in their house one time. And that's kind of like the contractor built a portion of what he was to build. And then he had stopped. And so. They had to start over with a new contractor and redo everything. Um, you think about someone like partially mowing your lawn. That would not be too cool. Like you say, there's like, well, I just kind of, I don't know, got a little tired at the end of that. So just decided to like leave a few, you know, uh, strips there. And I hope you're cool with that. Um, our son, Samuel, uh, he really wants like a partial shower or bath. Like if we were to give him like. He wants, he, he's, he digs like a bath more than a shower, but either way, he really doesn't want you to wash his hair. So he's always like, that's kind of a frustrating thing for him. And so it's kind of like you have to push him and say, listen, a, a partial bath or shower uh, is, is not good hygiene, you know, and then kind of go back and say, I mean, at one point, if he wants to do the dreads thing, you know, like that'll be his call. He won't have to like wash, anyway. But generally speaking, like partial obedience, like partial obedience is, we would say always, is disobedience. Like for you to, you know, and I see this again, kind of growing up uh, around kids, me trying to grow up around them in a sense, and try to be a good father or whatever. There's so often times where you'll say, Go and pick up all these toys, you know, in your room or particular toys. And maybe like two things are picked up and then the rest are left there. And you have to go in there and say like partial obedience is disobedience. Like we're doing all of this or we're asking for you to do all of that, to take every step to follow through with what um, we want you to do or what we're asking for you to do. This text is all about someone who does things partially. And I just thought I would mention to you real quick as we're trying to think about it. One of the things like in the history of Israel that the king would should help correct, you might say, is that with Israel, when God you know, made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to make a, a people, uh, they'll have land and, and they'll experience blessing when they enter the land as they stay under my rule. When they get into the land, what you find is, is that they get there and um, Joshua kind of leads them in these big battles. 
And then you're left with, uh, they're all kind of given a portion of land and they are to learn war. That is, learn to trust God as they walk through the land and drive out the enemy. So they're going to learn the art of uh, war, which is kind of steeped in faith, you could say, trusting God to be with them. Well, after Joshua dies and after those who watched what God did died, you know what happened? They stopped driving the people out. And so in Judges 1 and 2, you'll see them and it says, this tribe did not drive out this group of people. And then this tribe did not drive out. They were partially obedient. And what they would do is they kept uh, the people that they kind of would overcome to be slaves for them. That's what you see. So their partial obedience was really what they considered to be for their benefit. And so this is something in the history of Israel. And it's playing out before us with this first king who is known as one who is partially obedient to the Lord or disobedient to the Lord. So as we're kind of just considering that, I just want to remind you that we've already seen Saul, like his disobedience to God cost him his dynasty. And now we see his partial obedience to God costing him like his place as king. It's important like that we see that because that is very clearly kind of what is taking place today in this text. So I want you um, to to look at a couple of little things as, as we conclude 14 and then we'll step into 15. In the end of 14, it's kind of like a, a, a summary, like a historical summary of Saul's kingship or his reign. And, and in a way, it's like an obituary, if you will, if it were written by someone that is just looking at their life from a secular viewpoint, in a way, you might say. It tells a little bit about their family, and it tells about the things that they did or accomplished in life. And so, that's kind of what you see. When you look at the end there, you'll notice that, and it's it's really kind of, if, if we were just looking at it, if you guys were to read this obituary in the newspaper and you saw it or online in some form, you might say, he had a pretty good life. Like, you might even say like, hey, you know, th- this, this was good. He, he had a good reign. But then when you get to chapter 15, you're, you see be, beyond just kind of the physical Because that's what a lot of people, when they're talking about somebody's life, they'll talk about their family, talk about maybe what they did, but then they don't see beyond just the, they they don't see beyond just what you can see on a very base scale. But then in chapter 15, we go beyond that. And so, I want you to kind of note that as you're thinking about what is taking place Saul's life with regard to his relationship to God, his life from a spiritual uh, vision, from an understanding, it it takes you to a different level. So chapter 15 verses uh, 1 through 9 here, you'll you'll kind of uh, note a a number of things, but we'll just start and just say, Samuel tells Saul exactly what he is to do. He gives very clear instructions. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. Samuel told Saul. You know, sometimes with us, you might say, 
I've never had some prophet come to me and say, do this. But, but I would say to you, if you were to stop and consider, you have the whole Bible. Like, it tells you what you are to do. Sometimes people are just adamant about, like, knowing God's will. And you, you just, there's a level of, like, well, we don't know, like, every step of our life. But we have a clear revelation that we have from God to us. And many of us, if we're honest, like neglect really taking that in, which is a sad place to be. But here we're seeing Samuel tell Saul exactly what he's to go and do. Uh, The Lord basically tells him, listen, you remember what Amalek did? By the way, you know how long ago this happened when he told him to do this? Anybody know? 300 plus years before this went down. It's like when we came into, remember y'all came into the promised land and right before you went in, these people came and attacked you. Go take care of them. And everything that they have devoted to destruction. You remember when Abraham was given the promise and God says, listen, your people will live in Egypt for 400 years in slavery. Y'all remember that? Until the iniquity of the Amorite is complete. I believe that's how it's presented. What he's saying is they're going to store up wrath for themselves. And when that's done, then I will like do what I need to do. Like, I will set my people free and send them in to the promised land. And I think that's important for us to kind of understand. Now, some of you might say, he just said, wipe all these people out. Men, women, kids, livestock. Wipe out the whole people. I mean, is that... I mean, for some of you might think, well, is it, what, what's going on here? How would this, how could this happen? How could this even be in the Bible? I think it's important for us just to kind of get that in our minds just real quick and just say to ourselves, Israel as a government was called upon to, by God to punish the wicked. It, it's, um, you realize that in the end, Jesus is going to call together his people and he's going to punish the wicked. Right? You realize that? Like what you see in Israel on a small scale will be in the end what will take place throughout the whole world. And, and it's important, I think, for us to see that because that, that's really even the prayers of God's people in the Revelation. They're saying, how long, O sovereign Lord, until you avenge us for what has been done to us? And he tells them, wait a little while until all of that trouble has come and it's full, and then I'm going to pour out the cup of my wrath. You will be gathered to me, and then we will unleash divine fury upon all the wicked that have rebelled against me throughout time and persecuted my people. And they will be punished forever. So sometimes people say, well, the Old Testament's kind of, you know, 
Or even some of you might say, why can't we live like we did in the Old Testament? Like, why is there not more like... The deal is, is we are awaiting a day when God will make all things right and the prayers of His people throughout the generations will be answered. So, God tells Saul to go in and execute judgment. And Saul fails to do so. And we we see that on display for us here. It says, um, when this happens... In verse 8, or verse 7, And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. So, what happens here? Verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So it's just important that we see that. Like God has called Saul to do this. He does not do it fully. He does not execute the judgment that God has called upon him to execute. He doesn't do it fully. He partially obeys the Lord. And, and I think that's just something that you and I need to understand. That, that, that God is not asking us for partial obedience. He is asking for complete obedience. And sometimes we could say, well, I go to church and I do this and I do that. And I, but He is calling you simply obey Him. And certainly, you're going to go to church and all those things, but sometimes we'll start exalting some things that we find really easy and fail to truly say, I'm going to fully obey the Lord. For some reason, we find ways to excuse our obedience. Now, going on down to 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 23. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So God's response to Saul's partial obedience is that he is sorry that he made him king. You know, when the people were looking for a king, he was tall and strong and big in the eyes of the the world, you might say. People would have said, that guy's great from an external picture. But behind the external is he lacked integrity. He lacked character. He lacked the ability to truly embody what God had called him to, which was to obey the Lord. You see, the king in Israel had to live under God's rule so that he could rule. I mean, that's just, even in your life, you say you're living under God's rule. When I watch sometimes people and I'll think like, they have a problem with authority. They think that their issue is like with some human authority. But reality is like, generally, it is with God's authority. They'll look at God's authority that He has placed over them and they're constantly trying to weasel out of of being under authority. 
most of the time they have a problem with God. I'm not saying all of the time, but most of the time they have a problem with God. They're not addressing that. And somehow they figure out ways to excuse it by saying, well, so-and-so, na-na-na-na-na-na-na. But the reality is they will struggle with the Lord. And so when Saul, when Saul says things like, well, this was happening, this was, he's making all these excuses, excuses, but in reality, his heart is, I will not fully obey the Lord. That, that's, I don't want to fully obey him. I don't want to sit under his rule. So, after looking at this kind of priority on obedience, we see in verse 29, just kind of skipping down just for a moment, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not man that we should, or that he should have regret. It's like, what he's saying is, God is not going to change his mind. He is not going to make unwise decisions. And, and you might say, well, hold on just a second, I thought God regretted and now he's not regretting I think there's a couple of things going on here. When we're looking at this, God regrets that he made him king in the sense that he grieves over it. But God's plan is perfectly being orchestrated. He is executing his plan flawlessly. And so when he says, Saul, you're no longer king, he's not going back on that. His plan is being executed. And so I think it's just important that we understand that as we kind of move forward here. So... After God tells um, Samuel what has taken place, we move on down in verse 12. Samuel leaves. He goes to meet Saul. He comes up to him and he sees Saul. And Saul says, blessed are you of the Lord. I've, com- I've fully done all that you've said. So Samuel's first question is this. Why am I hearing livestock? Like if you... How did that, did y'all just carry them for fun? Did everybody bring their pets to the battle? You know, I mean, it's kind of a, it's like, he's like, why do I hear that? It's ringing in my ears. And the ring is that he had not fully obeyed the Lord. He says, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. What's he saying? Well, number one, he's saying the people did that. But again, he's king. He was called to keep the people from rebelling. So he says, that's an issue, one. Second, and just looking at it, we're bringing them, or the people decided that they would come and sacrifice those before the Lord. He doesn't want that. The Lord said, totally, I don't want this sacrifice from these people. I just said, take them off the whole earth. God doesn't want now their animals to be placed before him. So they're kind of deciding on how they will enter into relationship with God or what it means to follow him. Disobedience is seen on every side here. Verse 16 through 18, Samuel said, stop. Because Saul is making up these kind of crazy excuses. He says, stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said, speak. And he says, though you're little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you as king over Israel. 
And this Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. He basically says, listen, even though Saul, I mean, when we see him, he's always thinking about what the people kind of, he's driven by the people, right? He, he's kind of a people-pleasing person. And, and it's at some level because he just, he seems to not have the confidence in the Lord that he ought or the desire to trust and follow the Lord as he ought. He says, listen, you did not obey. God said to do this. You're the king. You should have made sure that it was done. You have failed to do it. Verse 19, Samuel has a second question for him. He says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission. I have brought back the king. I've devoted uh, the Amalekites to destruction. Um, But the people did this. Again, Saul just like delusional. God didn't say bring back the king. And the people are under your rule. And you've rebelled against the Lord. You have not fully obeyed him. You've not done the mission completely. Sometimes when you think about like like somebody gets their orders for the day. and, And somebody says like I need you to do this, 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 and this. And they decide to do three of those things. Not all five. You're like... You didn't do your job for the day. You didn't complete the task that was given to you. I did not ask you to think about what you thought was right for this day. But rather to do what I said this day. It was partial obedience. You ever do that where you say, I'm at church every Sunday. I mean, I know that I... I'm like really mean to my wife throughout the week. But I go to church every Sunday, right? Very committed. I'm religiously there, but. Or you could say something like. I listen to podcasts and go to conferences all the time. You don't know how many Christian books I've read. You know, I've done all of those things. But you rarely spend time with people who don't know Christ or never have shared the gospel with anybody. You know, it's like, I mean, I know it's, it's so easy for us to get into that kind of, or I tithe every week. Not a, it's a good thing. Like, that's a good thing. But I don't ever pray for or contact anyone in the body or seek to serve them. It's like you... Sometimes we can get really good. We pick a handful of little things that we feel like we better do. And maybe you kind of grew up with, here's the three or four things. You do those, you're a good Christian. Like, God's going to let you in. Like, all's good, you know. You do those, you know. And you check them off your whole... Even when you're a kid, you check them off. You've been checking them off forever. And as long as those are done, you're just checking it off. But you, you realize, like, it's so easy sometimes to find yourself... In danger of neglecting the whole spirit of what we are to do. What we are called to do. The way we are to love. The way we are to give our lives in service. It's, it's really, it's, it's an easy thing to be partially obedient. It's easy to like, what, what we talk about like sins of commission and omission. Where you're saying like, I didn't do this and I didn't do that and I didn't do. And you say, but are you doing this or that or the other? 
Because sometimes it's like, we, again, we're, just, we're good at like a handful of things of like, do not do this. But then when it comes to like truly giving our lives in service to the Lord and to others, like, well, that doesn't really count in our minds, kind of. Samuel's third question. And Samuel said, as the Lord, uh, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? I mean, that is, that is a real, like, that's a shocking kind of question for us. Does God want them to just bring these animals up? We're, we're in, we know that um, the blood of bulls and goats, like it says, never really truly satisfied the Lord. Does he just want the ritual and not truly like your whole life? I mean, what, what is he asking for? From you. Saul has rejected God's word, and God responds by rejecting him as king. One guy said, Samuel negates sacrifice not absolutely, but relatively. He is saying that formal worship cannot be substituted for obedient life. External devotions for internal submission. Another writer writes it this way. In sacrifices, a man offers only the strange flesh of irrational animals. It's like somebody just walked them in there, you know. Whereas in obedience, he offers his own will, which is rational or spiritual worship. Like the heart of things should be driving our lives, our convictions, not just the exterior act, but like internally, is he yielded to the Lord and offering himself in complete obedience to him? Now, Saul finally, after all of that, has some kind of like, maybe he repents. You know, like you're kind of like, did, did he repent or not? Be like if I sat down and we were talking and the Lord was saying, Ask him this, ask him this. And then you're like, nah, well, I mean, I, I, I did that. I did, I did right. You're like, well, the Lord said you did this. And be like, well, no, I mean, I followed the Lord and be like, no, the Lord said this is how this was. And you're like, okay, 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 okay. Let's get this over with, you know. Can we get this? I just want to get it over with. Like just, you know. So Saul says, I've sinned, I've sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. It's like, okay, you're right. You, you, you got it right. Now, how quick can we get this? Let's just, everybody, can we not all just get everything right now? I mean, I just want it right now. Like, is all, are we going to be good? And maybe you've met someone like that, where you, where you, in, or in your own self, certainly you've seen it, where you just think, like, I don't want to make a big deal over my sin. Don't, don't make me make a big deal. Don't let me see my sin for what it is. Like, let, let, just let me get back to where I say partial obedience is good enough. Let's get back to that. Well, no, we can't get back. Okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to get on track now. You know, real quick to say, let's just, 
don't talk about that anymore. Don't go to the depths of that. Don't really deal with that. Samuel says, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. It's almost like he has to say, do you hear this? You forfeited your ability to to be king. Saul's second appeal is like Samuel's walking away and he grabs the skirt of his robe to hold him back and it tears. Samuel turns around and said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret. Again, we heard him earlier saying, I regretted that I had him in his sorrow, God says. But God's not changing his mind. God, when he makes a decision, he has made the decision. It is done. He will not do anything different. Saul's third appeal. He says, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow down to the Lord. Samuel goes with him. But what's the motivation of Saul? Honor me before the elders. All along the way, he's saying, I want the people to have this view of me. He's been, in a way, you could say, he values the people's man's praise above God's. And it even seems on this third appeal, maybe that's really what he wants. He wanted the praise of men rather than the praise of God. And you... And you, you could think about that maybe even in your own life where you say, when I am in this bad way, I just want to make sure that everybody still thinks good of me. Not whether I've offended God, but I want to make sure everybody still thinks good of me. So we see partial obedience is disobedience. And then we see here, when you're looking at this, there's a problem with the kind of repentance that we see in Saul. It's not just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, now let's get over it. It's like, you don't know, it's, it's hard to think that do we really see a biblical repentance here. What does this all result in, verse 34 and 35? Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This man was not a king after God's own heart. And he experienced the alienation of God's voice. I think it is maybe today when you look at all of this, you might say to yourself, Like when I examine my understanding of Christianity and walking with the Lord, do I see it as you can do kind of Christianity means I have a handful of rules, I've followed them, I'm good. Or do I see it as God is calling me to a whole life obedience, turning away from my sin, fully trusting in Him like fully giving my life to him. 
A true call of repentance and faith is to abandon your own self-rule and to come under his rule. And then to follow his mission and what he calls you to do. Do I have this half-hearted obedience or do I truly obey? And then when you say, I'm never going to fully obey. Well, what does, what does a turning away from the, the things that you see in your life that are not right, what, is that, what does a turning away and turning to look like? How do you kind of go from there? And, and who do you look to that gives you hope? And I, this is what I would say to you about that, is when we think about Jesus, and he speaks to the people, when he speaks to the people, if you remember like in the Sermon on the Mount, he calls them to such a high calling that nobody in here would ever say, I read the Sermon on the Mount, the heart of it, what, what it's all about and walk out of this room with my head lifted high. Nobody's going to say that. But what you do is, when you read about this king, we find out that he completely obeyed the Lord. And then he went to the cross for disobedient people. And he rose again from the grave, victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, because he was completely obedient, and then he is then... The, the Lord says, I'm pleased with him and raised him from the dead. And then the rest of the New Testament is about how we are united to him by faith so that what the life he lived and the death that he died and the resurrection are all ours by trusting in him. And the response then would be this. I serve a king who lived like I never have been able to live, who died a death for me, and it was a perfect sacrifice, who was raised victorious that validated this whole faith that I say that I believe. I am following him now by faith, trusting that what he has accomplished has been given to me. And then out of an overflow of gratitude, I want to serve him. That's what Christianity is. So then it doesn't become a handful of things that I do that make me right with God, but rather out of gratitude for what he has done, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. I want to lay aside anything that's hindering me, and I want to put on a heart of faith. So hopefully today we'll do that. Is your life characterized by obedience to the Lord? Do you embody what you believe a faithful believer, church member, husband, father, child, worker, neighbor should be? Do we really see, last thing, Jesus is the perfectly obedient one who died for us and whose sacrifice was perfect in every way and acceptable to God so that we could be reconciled to him and if so how could we not want to offer our lives back let's pray father we thank you for your word we ask for your grace and mercy in our lives we ask for you to let us see let us see maybe what we haven't seen. Let us see with clarity any partial obedience in our life. Let us confess that and move forward by faith, trusting you. Let us celebrate today Jesus who is the King of Kings. The King who 
was perfectly obedient and then died for his subjects that were not so that they could be saved. Let us celebrate him today. In Christ's name, amen.